Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker Rob Nuts and my co-host calling in all the way from Amsterdam, Alan Ben-Joseph. Today marks a very special occasion for The Real Time Show because this is our first ever product review show. Now, Ralph Lauren, of all brands, have been kind enough to lend us the new Polo Ralph Lauren Vintage 67 and I've been wearing it for the last couple of weeks and getting very well acquainted with it. We put a picture out on our Instagram channel, a few pictures actually, and we asked you, our listeners, to ask us questions about this watch. And we hope that this is a format that we can replicate in the future whenever brands are kind enough to loan us watches for review. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Good morning, buddy. Good to hear you. What an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear your lovely voice. I've gotten a lot of feedback on the picture I've posted on my Instagram feed with your lovely hairy wrist and (laughs) hairy jumper for our American listeners. A jumper is a sweater. It's actually a Uh, coat. It's a Levi's It was a coat. Yeah, yeah. I've gone gone full fluffy for the season, you know? Yeah, very fluffy. So Very fluffy. uh, (laughs) I I wanted to call you a name, but I won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a callback to the old Piaget fluffer watch, is it? Uh, No. Oh, okay. Thank God for that. Let's continue on quickly. So the thing is, I've, I've, I've uh, in my journey on social media posting wrist shots, I've gotten a lot of feedback on the hairy part of it. So it was funny, actually, um, to start off my post with that. All kidding aside, I've received actually cool feedback, uh, cool questions. I did a poll on my stories, which, oddly enough, it yielded almost 50-50. It was a bit skewed to know, but uh, that was actually interesting to see. Um, It sparked a lot of feedback. So should we just get going? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting watch from a brand that as a watchmaker is maybe still a little bit under the radar, despite having quite a long history of making watches. Now, I'm going to dive into the, not mailbag, this time comment section. I'm going to pick up a question from uh, Gerard G2. Um, everybody's favorite father figure at Fratello. <laughs> and, uh, he and mine says, too, uh, and mine yeah. too. I mean, he's our hero. He's, he's yes, Balazs, he Balazs's dad. Yeah, less said about that, the better. But um, he was rather, let's say, derisive. And uh, with a career and collection like G's, you can say whatever the hell you want, whenever you want, and be listened to and respected. So let's respect his question, as sarcastic as it was when he asked it. He said, what's the brand again? dot dot question mark and what he meant by that of course was why on earth are you posting a polo ralph Lauren watch and i have to say until i encountered this watch which i did in geneva in september i would probably have had the same reaction now g2 is well aware of the history of ralph Lauren in watchmaking he knows of course that for a while they were best known for their i think it was cartier powered chronographs that they had Cartier made chronograph movements inside these quite attractive wooden bezeled watches, which retail for around 10K for the most part. And then more recently, they've branched out into, I would say, very preppy entry level watches, sports watches, dive watches, very simple fare, really easy uh, to make cases, you know, derivative styles with the Polo Ralph Lauren logos plastered all over them and sold in store in the guise of an accessory that an Ivy League chap might pick up 
as he's suiting himself out with a bunch of new polo shirts and weekend bags and whatnot. However, the polo Ralph Lauren Vintage 67 is a step in a very new direction. It strikes a tantalizing middle ground for the brand and not something I expected. I had a full slate of meetings at Geneva Watch Days this year. I was there with Fratello, of course, and as I reached the end of the week, I had an evening free to myself, and I was contacted by a PR agent who I've known for many years, uh, Chloe BC of 289 Consultancy in Switzerland, and she said, I've got the head of product development from Ralph Lauren uh, here in Geneva, and he would like to meet with you and show you some new watches. And I said, well, sure, you know, I've got nothing on, so let's meet in, I think we met in the bar of the Beau Rivage. And Guillaume Tetou sat down across from me, humble as you like, pulls out a nice box of watches, and he takes out all of these pieces. Now, the majority of the stuff he was showing me was either the old chronographs at the 10K price point or the entry-level Ivy League stuff. Neither one really struck a chord with me. And then he pulled out this curious little watch, which is on a, I'd say, tan brand leather bund strap of all things with a very odd case, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, Odd because it doesn't look like a standard style of finishing, and that's because it isn't. And he hands it across the table to me, and I was charmed by it aesthetically. But it was only then when I turned it over and I realized that it was powered by a rather attractive mechanical hand-wound movement, which as it transpires has a 90-hour power reserve, that I was really awed by it. And I tried it on the wrist and I was immediately transported back to uh, the early days of the Ralph Lauren brand. And I could see myself sitting by a fire in Aspen, having had a whole day of unimpressively skiing down those beautiful slopes and sipping on a hot chocolate, wearing this watch against a chunky cable knit sweater. And I was just, I was there. I was in a different world. And I thought, you know what? This is amazing. I actually think I might have to buy one of these little buggers, but I was convinced it would be about five or 6K because of where the price points had stood before. I thought this must be somewhere in the middle, but it's actually around 2,400 euros. And I was thinking, okay, this is a pretty simple Le Parade movement. It's very nicely finished, has a 90-hour power reserve. Still not like leading horology, but very good, very solid, better than you'd expect from a Ralph Lauren watch, to be quite frank. But it has that name power. And on top of that, it has a really unique look to it because of the way the case is made. And so in response, or shall I say in defense of my decision to ask Ralph Lauren to send me one of these on loan and 2G2, I would say, the brand is Polo Ralph Lauren, and they really need to be paid attention to. Off the bat, yay or nay for Rob? <laughs> yay or nay for Rob? Yes. And I want one, before you, when you got the watch in your hand, were you skewed to yes or no? Okay. And after wearing it for, I don't know how many days you had it on your wrist, is it a yes or no? Before I got the watch in hand, the answer was no. Absolutely no. No way would I spend any amount of money on a Ralph Lauren watch. That is my... God's honest truth. It didn't take a day or two days or a week for me to fall for this watch. It took a matter of seconds. As soon as Graham put it in my hands, I was falling in love. And by the end of that meeting, and the meeting was only an hour long, maybe, I was convinced I was going to buy one. So it's an absolute yay. And, you know, this is uh, this is not a sponsored episode in any way. This is just me wanting to share my feelings about a product that I wholeheartedly believe in and was gobsmacked to find I came away from Geneva believing it to be the best watch I'd seen all week, which is 
unfathomable. Unfathomable. Wow, wow that's yeah, a statement. it is. Because, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, okay, it isn't the best watch horologically, it isn't the most stunning watch aesthetically, but it's the one that actually affected me the most. I don't know if I'm talking about relative affection, as in I really expected nothing and felt something, or whether I'm actually saying I genuinely felt much more about this watch than any other piece I saw, but I believe it to be the latter. Because I believe coming away, I was gobsmacked, I was enthralled by it. I wanted to go back and play with it again and I wanted to wear it and I could not wait to get one through the post. And it took a while because FedEx did FedEx things and wanted to know all all sorts of nonsense about the watch, questions I couldn't answer. Uh, But I got it now and I'm not looking forward to sending it back. I will send this one back because it's a press piece and I have already registered my interest in purchasing one as and when that is possible. So yeah, it's a big yay for me. And I, I really am passionate about doing an episode like this because I think that it is worthwhile when you have quite a lot of experience in the industry as a, a, a maker, a journalist, as a collector, and you find something that really takes your breath away, something you never would have expected, something that should be shared with the community. It's important to go out there and say it. I've done this with all the brands that I like champion, like Schofield, Straum, Anodane, Laventure, and you know, now amazingly Polo Ralph Lauren, but Hey, it's a big yay for me. Um, and yeah, that's why G that's why to answer your second question, why? Because it deserves to be spoken about because it's special. It shouldn't be. I have no clue how it turned out so good, but it has done. And there you go. Next question, please. Amazing. So again, Rob mentioned it. This is not a sponsored episode. Rob actually went out and asked for the watch. Polo Rafflon didn't approach us, did they? Not this time, no. They contacted no, me so... for the initial meeting in Geneva. Yes. And I went along. And then after that, I've been chasing them. <laughs> it's, it's, it flipped. Exactly. So so the real-time show didn't even exist back then. So that's off the table. Um, I haven't had it in my hands. So whatever feedback I'm giving is literally by what I've seen online, like probably most of our listeners. So Rob... We received a zillion questions. Well, I think I got 14 very, like 14 distinct questions. There was a few extras that came in that were overlaps. So I've kind of, I've compiled yep. them, condensed them into, into one. Uh, obviously, we have to be quite selective when it comes to a, a show like this, but we'll try and get through as many as we can. Can I go first? That's maybe not polite, but can I go first? You can ask me whatever you want about this watch. Okay, so I had a myriad of thoughts and feelings when I uh, saw the watch. And um, I personally love Ralph Lauren, Mr. Ralph Lauren, the brand Ralph Lauren, Polo Ralph Lauren. He has many labels. Today, I think it's a publicly listed company. I think he's still uh, affiliated. I still wear his polos and I've been doing so because I've been thinking about it. The first time I've seen one and got one was when I was four years old on one of my first trips to New York City. So I've been actually wearing them almost for four decades. So that's a disclaimer. I love the brand. Now, my initial reaction was also nay. Although I have a lot of respect for Ralph Lauren because he's a hard, hardcore watch collector and cars collector. I believe back in 2007, they even started the Polo Ralph Lauren watch and jewelry company in a joint venture with Richemont, which I believe was 50-50. I don't know if that's the case today. Do you? I believe they still have um, some Richemont movements, but I don't think that the companies are actually linked as closely as they were. But I might be wrong. That's something interesting to research. Now, 
So as a brand, I love it. Their initial watches created together with Richemont were very high-end. They all used sister brand calibers, so IWC calibers, Piaget calibers, Jejala Culture calibers. Um, I loved the new designs that they created back then. I believe they still exist in the collection. Um, the slim lines, the square watches, actually Yco together with the Rake and Revolution just launched a collab, a limited edition, where they blended Roman numerals with Eastern Arabic numerals, which was actually very cool, I think. So I have a very high esteem of where they started. So this was interesting. It seems like a competitor for a Hamilton Kaki field watch, but it's more than double the price because I believe the retail price today is 2,460 euros, including that in our market. But when I started studying the watch, at first I'm like, hmm, why do you need to make a military mil-spec field watch? And why a Bund strap? And I believe we got questions about that. Yeah, we did, we did. But when I studied the pictures on a desktop instead of on my handheld device, so my mobile phone, I zoomed in very high res on the pictures. And the first thing I noticed, the case is different. Mm -hmm. It's not an off-the-shelf case, is it? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. No, and, and, and talk about that. And the finishing seems yeah. different. It's not matte. <laughs> by a polishing machine where you can put a matte brush on it. It's not sandblasted. It's not sapphire bead blasted, it seems. I'm very impressed. So what is it, Rob? Talk about that, please. It looks a bit aluminum a bit. It looks white, the metal. I am very impressed. Uh, you're absolutely right. It is none of those finishes. And I wouldn't expect you to be able to guess what it is because it's so unusual. Now, this case is absolutely unique to this particular watch. It has these little tiny stubby lugs, which to me somehow evoke stirrups i don't know why it's it has a bit of an hermes look mm -hmm. to the whole thing uh, mm -hmm. the, le the leather itself yeah. is very good quality as you'd expect but the case is made of stainless steel but it is stamped the whole case is stamped it's pressed out so that finish that you see on top there is actually machine burnishing nothing has been done to this case since it came out of the machine it is crushed into shape Really? And it stays like that. So you will notice this. Yeah, it's kind of like a sort of natural, almost mid-patina. Hard to describe. It looks like you, you said, like it's somewhere between like a bead-blasted finish and a, and a satin and a polish. And it has these elements where it looks worn but new. And that is why it's such an amazing success. But yes, really, that's how they did it. That's why it looks weird. And I mean, come on, what's not to like about that? A burnished case finish. And the cool thing is, I've got a press sample here, which has been around a few guys like me, I guess. It's got nicks all over it. It's not perfect. I don't know whether these nicks are even uh, since manufacturing or came out of the machine like that, but it looks amazing. It looks like it's lived a life already. It looks like it's from 1967. Now, I have to just segue into a question here from one of my followers. Uh, Musty asked, I read on the homepage of Ralph Lauren, and I checked this, he was right, that this watch was inspired by Ralph's love of the watches from the 20s and the 30s. Why then is it called the Vintage 67? And he's absolutely right. Good question. I didn't know the answer, so I asked. And 
it's obvious now, I know, but I didn't know before. 1967 was the year that the Polo Ralph Lauren brand was founded. So this is a callback to the very early days of the company. And I suppose the reason why they chose it, despite the watch's styling perhaps not being congruous with that era, was because to call it the Ralph Lauren 29 would have seemed disingenuous given the fact the brand didn't exist then. So they've gone as far back as they can in their history and they've called it the Vintage 67 and... They could call it whatever the hell they want. As far as I'm concerned, I'd still buy one. Continuing on that topic, it seems, and I, I'm quite confident, the case is proprietary. It's designed by Ralph Lauren. It's made for yep. Ralph Lauren. Because looking at the case back, it's also amazing because there is a um, there are multiple layers on the backside. Even looking at the front again, um, it seems that. The crown is yeah crown. yeah yeah yeah. Oh, it's seen. a lovely. Crown. It's a mix of a big pilot crown with a mushroom onion ish crown, and um, it seems designed for them. So that's amazing. Um, for our listeners, Rob, can we drop the reference number very quickly? Because I I've gotten a lot of feedback the last uh, few weeks that they immediately Google images while we, t- while, while they're listening to us talking. The only reference you need is Polo Ralph Lauren Vintage 67. It, it doesn't have like, it doesn't have a crazy long, like Speedmaster-esque reference number at all. Just, just its name. Okay. So we're looking at a cream whitish dial with black numerals. And then the numerals seem very Polo-esque. Yep. It seems they're designed. It's not an off-the-shelf font. Nope. Which I can appreciate very much. The seconds hand, the hand for the seconds on the subdial, the second subdial seem unique to this watch. Yeah, yeah, everything's done in. I mean, I mean, okay, it's not made in house. Obviously, it's like the manufacturing is outsourced, but the quality of it and the originality of it—that's that's all Polo Ralph Lauren doing that. Like this is their typography, um, their design of hands, dial, case. I mean, even the strap. It's a bond strap, for goodness sake. So let me just slide in one of my other questions here. Uh, This comes from Christopher. Uh, He says, how is the strap? It looks like a hard edge. Well, I can say categorically that it isn't a hard edge. It's a beautifully made strap. The leather is supple and soft straight out of the box. Uh, The strap itself is uh, a shade under three millimeters thick. It's uh, 2.85 millimeters according to my measurements and the bond portion of the strap which uh is significantly thinner at 1.7 mil uh sits very comfortably on the wrist forms to the wrist perfectly straight straight out of the box like i say you can't really fault it it's a lovely color and it's the kind of leather that you can do anything with and it'll just look better and better and better you know i wash my hands several times a day and often splash my leather straps because obviously not very skilled at washing my hands and uh, those kind of blemishes and stains just build up over time and it just gets richer and deeper and even more attractive as time passes. So yeah, the strap is great. I hated bun straps about uh, two months ago. Then I encountered this watch. I was taken by them. So I started trying them on other pieces and now I wear my Breitling Aerospace on a bun. I don't know if you've seen that on my Instagram, Alan, but uh, yeah, it's a weird combo, but it works. I have seen it. Obviously, I see everything you do Creepy. on Instagram. And it, wow. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, since we're buddies, I'm officially not a stalker. Okay, okay. So um, uh, I'm not creeping on your uh, on your uh, <laughs> socials. Um, all kidding aside, 
Um, talk, it, weirdly enough, the bond with your Earth space works. Now, I received a question from Oliver, which links exactly to this topic. He sent in a question. Why a bund strap? And can you tell us a bit about the history of the bund strap? Because there's a lot of um, love, but also hate for that strap. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll take the first half of this question. You can take the second because it's uh, I'm doing a lot of talking. And uh, obviously, I want to share the airwaves with you as much as possible. I'm just very enthusiastic about this watch. So why a bund strap? Well, because it looks damn cool is the answer, Oliver. Uh, thanks for your question, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, you can remove the bond easy enough. The strap itself is actually quick release. So firstly, you can pull the tail end, the six o'clock end of the strap, out without any problem. And then you can just pop off the, uh, the 12 o'clock side and then you slide it out. So um, log end of the strap first, so you don't pull the buckle through the bond. But it's uh, it's easy enough to take that off. Um, the watch changes its character entirely when you remove the the bond pad. To be honest, I um, don't like it as much. That's just that's just the truth. I like the incredibly vintage styling, and I, you know I mentioned my little Aspen Reverie earlier. I, I stand by it. That's what this watch is for. Like it is the best weekend away with your very rich friends. Uh, to a lake house kind of watch, you know, it's a denim shirt and a Negroni in the afternoon kind of watch. It's a, it's, it's a cool watch for relaxing and the bond, although people love and hate them, it's incredibly comfortable whether you like it or not. And something I really failed to appreciate. I've never really been aware of leather cuffs. I think I might've been when I was 13 and going through a bit of a phase, bit of a cowboy phase, but um, I love it. Yeah, I really, I'm, I'm a convert. And I'm not saying I'm going to start wearing all my watches on buns, but I have actually been considering having some special buns made for other pieces. Like, for example, my Fortis uh, Marine Master M40 in white. I've got it on the white rubber strap at the moment, and I am going to replace that with the Fortis bracelet because I've fallen in love with the micro adjustment on the clasp after my uh, recent trip up to S-Range, which you will have heard about already on the show in episodes 12 and 13. If not, go and check that out now. I am thinking about putting that on a bund because it kind of suits my uh, Arctic Explorer vibe. So um, why a bund? Because it looks cool. And now Alon, over to you for the history. The most known story of the origins of a bund strap, and maybe the name gives it away because it's German, is it's been said that they've been designed originally by the German for German pilots during World War II, just before that, as a protective leather backing between the wrist and the watch, because in case um, they either get extremely hot or cold, it's uncomfortable. But if in case of fire and, and, and other things, the metal obviously will burn through your wrist. So that's the origin of the story. But I personally know that other armies also have used them, still use them. Today, some armies have complete sleeves over their watch so they don't create any shimmer or shining or reflection while on a mission and i know even of modern day soldiers wearing these sleeves these socks on their g-shocks so that's where the origins lie of that design i guess in the 70s both steve mcqueen and paul newman made them en vogue trendy um, and today, 
you'll see once in a while modern watches with by modern watchmakers use them. Uh, one that pops to mind is the Tudor chronograph, Black Bay chronograph. The leather version comes on a bunt, which is cool because you can always slide it off. So you can you can wear it as a regular leather strap or put it on. Um, in modern day, there are a lot of people who are allergic to either non-precious metals or stainless steel, and especially the, the not high-end steel cases. So this is a perfect solution for them because if the case back creates irritation on your wrist or a rash, it's also ideal to consider this strap. Anything to add, Rob? No, I think you covered it very nicely. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating history and one that some people get a lot of pleasure from knowing and continuing by wearing the bun strap on their wrist. I personally don't really give two shakes where it comes from. It's all about the aesthetic for me. Does it work or doesn't it work? And in this case, it very much works. So uh, do you have another question lined up for us? Definitely. So Zach sent me a message. This caliber uses La mm-hmm. Jupere. So is La Jupere considered high-end in comparison to Ita or Salita? Okay, so let's, right from the top, let's, I'll put one of my questions in here. This is from Dan, another Fratello writer and uh, a friend online. We've never actually met in real life, but I look forward to visiting him sometime when I get back to the Netherlands. You know him, right? You know Dan. I see him uh, at least once a month. Oh, lovely. Does he part of Red Bar? Anyways, Red Bar Amsterdam, and he visits my uh, bodega once in a while. Excellent stuff. Well, Dan has asked us, which movement did they use again? I'm guessing he knew he was just uh, dropping us an easy one there, but... Interestingly enough, there was some confusion on Instagram. My uh, erstwhile colleague, Dave Sargent, jumped in with the answer that it was the D100. But actually, as he was corrected by one of my other followers momentarily after that, it is the uh, Le Jeu Pere 7380. Now, these movements are similar, as in they're both manually wound and they are both three hertz, but they do have some significant differences. So aesthetically from the front, they look the same because they have a running second subdial at six o'clock. They have different dimensions, however. The uh, D100 is much smaller because it's a uh, Perso 7001 clone in the same way that the Nomos Alpha is an evolution of the Perso 7001. So it's smaller. It's only 23.3 millimeters across, 2.5 millimeters thick. Um, the LJP7380 that is in this watch is much bigger. It's 30 millimeters across and 2.7 millimeters thick. The most important difference, however, aside from the 21 joules in the 7380 versus the 17 joules in the D100, is the fact that the 7380 has a 90-hour power reserve, which is an increase of 40 hours over the D100, which, to be fair, is actually a very good power reserve for a Perso 7001 clone, which normally have around 41, 42-hour power reserves. So they've obviously done something to gear up that mainspring to get a little more juice out of it. So the LJP7380 is the movement inside the Polo Ralph Lauren Vintage 67. In comparison to ETL Salita, I do actually put Le Jupere above them. Now, if I were to rank them in order of preference, Salita would definitely be locked into a third place. I think the way I would sort of say it is ETA is 
not the original movement manufacturer, but in, in this day and age, you could say, oh, it's the original and the best. It's the most reliable. It's the most ubiquitous. It's the easiest to service, perhaps the easiest to source parts for if you have an account or know somebody that does. Salita is just almost a direct clone of that, although they have dropped a lot of new chronograph complications recently, which are very interesting and very useful for smaller brands looking to diversify their offering. Now, Le Jupere doesn't really clone ETA, but makes equivalents and finishes them to a higher standard, in my opinion. And also the power reserves tend to be better. Now, chances are they're a little finer. They could be a little finickier to work with. Um, but at least they are generally available for a new brand. If you're starting up and you're looking at ETA Salita or Le Jupere as a potential supplier, I would say in the minds of most watch collectors, Le Jupere carries a slight premium and the fact that you might actually be able to place an order should make the decision an easy one. But I will always welcome new movement manufacturers to the game. It's always nice to have more options and it's only a good thing for collectors. Very technical. I love it. I hope our listeners didn't fall asleep. <laughs> well, you know so... what? The assumption is that our <laughs> listeners, like, you do this to me all the time. Every time I get a little bit deep on the watchmaking side of things, and I was basically just rattling off some stats. Our listeners, we assume they're watch fanatics. And if not, they're budding watch fanatics, and they soon will be. And when they really buy into the passion that goes into these things and the description thereof, then my descriptions can be as long as they need to be to get everything out there. Right? Are you awake? Hello? <laughs> You are completely right, because I have now two buddies who were already affected by the watch bug, and they start listening to the podcast, not because I stalked them, but because they voluntarily decided to. And they are now, thanks to us, or we are to blame, it's whatever side of the coin you want to choose, tumbling down the rabbit hole very fastly so this is the shout out to offer and gabriel and thank you dan for your question and comment um make sure to follow him on instagram it's flip the parrot so it's at flip the parrot um he makes very cool pictures and his handle is a referral to the fact that he shoots from a parrot on the shoulder angle um hence his name um do you want me to pick another question I want to ask you one, actually, because, you know, I don't want sure. it to be a robocracy. What do we call it? Rob, <laughs> a robtatorship. <laughs> um, okay. Do you, okay, this is from Jennifer, perhaps Jennifer, who knows? Hi, Jennifer, Jennifer. Nice to have you with us. Do you compare Ralph Lauren, Polo Ralph Lauren, to another fashion brand making watches like Hermes, she says. Now, actually, you know, we could, there's another question I can pull into this as well. Uh, this is, where is it gone? Okay. Okay. So from Tommy, Tommy says, do you gents think fashion brands should make watches or shouldn't they stick to making garments? We'll throw that one in there as well. And okay, we'll blend, blend those, those two. two. And there was another one that I thought was pretty relevant. Okay, this is from Kieran. Yeah, Kieran in Manchester. Do you think that this is an overpriced fashion brand <laughs> half-assing another avenue in brackets like Tom Ford? Bitch, Kieran, you little bitch. Or do you feel like it's the early beginnings of a serious watch journey from another fashion brand? Oh, God, I'm regretting this. He's, he's going on as long as I am. Serious, yeah, so brilliant. Serious watch journey from another fashion brand akin to stories 
of brands like Cartier or more recently Hermes. Okay, so right. So this is kind of a, this is a good one for you because you're a collector, not just of watches, but also sneakers. So you do cross over into the fashion sphere as well. And it's a question of should brands who are perhaps better known for making garments or accessories go into the watchmaking game? Is it legitimate? And what are your, what are your feelings on that subject? Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Kieran's, for the awesome questions. Um, Rob, to put you in your place, don't ever offend sneakerheads slash soul collectors for calling us fashion victims, calling it fashion or hype beasts, because OG sneaker collectors are OG. We don't follow trends or fashion. Uh, Right. All right. Like you are not a fashionable watch collector so watch out for that but i do hang appreciate on a second Haute hang Couture. on a second okay firstly you're talking out your ass right you, you might think <laughs> you, you're on some elevated plane but it is fashion and don't see fashion as a, as a dirty word there's nothing wrong with fashion i didn't say that you were a hype beast you said that so it sounds like you got a chip on your shoulder i collect baseball caps right so i'm in the same sort of like street culture sphere as you are you sneakerheads that call yourselves mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, but i'm not an mm-hmm, idiot i'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're not like part of the fashion cycle of course they are they may be a little bit outside of it as you are with your sneakers but come on do man. you do you have a do you have a new york yankees felt wool fitted <laughs> baseball cap og new era without new era on the side um, no i don't have any yankees caps uh, okay. on principle it's um it's the one t- i avoid uh, it because like uh, if you buy a yankees cap if you don't know what you're doing or if you're a yankees fan and i'm uh, neither i'm a washington nationals fan or if you got one in the 80s right so i still have that og one it shrunk unfortunately so i'm keeping it oh that's myself. cool having, having a nice one <laughs> but that. but if you're wearing a camo New York Yankees cap made out of nylon. Yeah, go then... take a running jump. Uh, okay. No, so little tip for anyone into caps, and then I'll shut up and go away. Go to Ebbets Field, um, Ebbets.com, Ebbets Field Flannels, Ebbets.com. That's E-B-B-E-T-S.com. They make the best wool caps. Now, unfortunately, they don't ship to Europe at the moment. They have done in the past. They may do again in the future. But if you want some good quality sportswear, that's where I get my headwear from. So I'll shut up now. I'll let you non-fashion loving sneakerheads uh go ahead with this question on topic of fashion diving into this watch my initial reaction was nay and i went also to yay the only discount i can apply to my liking of this watch is i regret the polo being written that big on the dial um that's something i regret so i do like looking from a, a helicopter view dissecting the question should fashion brands make watches right that question i answer with a clear yes everybody should make watches what do we care who makes watches as long as they add new to it new designs new technology new whatever so um one of the first fashion brands ever to make watches, if I recollect correctly, is Gucci. Under the signature of Severin, who also bought Corum and made it big. They did new stuff. They brought new designs to watchmaking, which was very cool. I think they are they 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 lost themselves the last decade plus, but last year they actually launched actually a cool collection i think now 
the two haute couture brands that are doing it right and correct, I think, are Chanel and Hermes. Chanel invested not only in new designs. I mean, although Rada was making ceramic watches, Chanel made the J12, which was a very cool ceramic watch. And it's becoming a slow evergreen for them. Uh, but the boyfriend is a cool watch. Uh, and etc. So they make cool watches. Hermes, being a leather maker and then king in silk, started also very early on, from day one, high end, and they stuck to it. Buying 25% or investing 25% in the Vaucher Manufacture Caliber Produce in Fleurier, which is owned 75% by Parmigiani Fleurier. Chanel did the same. They invested in Canisi. They invested in um, F.P. June. Uh, they've invested in Bell & Ross. So you see that these guys are very serious about watchmaking. And Ralph Lauren did the same. As we discussed earlier on in 2007, they off the bat started making watches. Ralph Lauren started making watches off the bat in 2007, I believe by setting up the Ralph Lauren Watches and Jewelry Company in a joint venture with Richemont. Um, and they still make high-end watches. Does that mean I think that every watchmaker, every fashion brand should become a watchmaker? No. Should they make watches? Yeah. Should they all be high-end? No, I don't think so. Let's take Armani, for example. Their Emporio Armani line was... Mass volume, made with Fossil Group, always. They never made high-end watches. And that begs the question, what should fashion brands do when they make watches? Should they consider it an accessory? And should it be at the bottom price range of their collection? So should they consider it like sunglasses, 100, 200, 300 euros, and therefore the watches as well? Whereas the handbags are 2,000 or their clothing are very expensive? For Chanel and Hermes, it makes sense because they are the best in what they do. Bags, uh, leather, silk, and even clothing. So it makes sense for them to make high-end watches. But that makes their life difficult because they are competing with the big, big boys. Does Hermes strategy work? I think so. In one of the earlier episodes, or one of our first Q&A episodes, we discussed the GPHG extensively. And Hermes took not one, but two prizes for the same watch. So that says a lot, I think. Coming back to Ralph Lauren. So what I find confusing, like a lot of fashion houses, Ralph Lauren has many labels. Their pinnacle label, I believe, is called the purple label or black label. I'm a bit confused. And then you have the Ralph Lauren, and you have RL, and you have X something, which is a sport label. And Polo, I think, is the volume label within the umbrella of Ralph Lauren brands. Now, probably everybody owns or once owned a Polo t-shirt with a Polo player on a horse on embroidered on his chest or a Oxford dress shirt, a button-down shirt. Um, I believe that is considered luxury. I guess the best polo t-shirt maker is Lacoste, 
which also make watches, but they have decided to make it fashion, so high volume, one, two, three hundred euros. Um, are there more expensive polo t-shirts out there? Probably. Um, taking that analogy and philosophy to watchmaking, do I think it's a good thing that polo, Ralph Lauren, made more accessible pricing compared to their high-end watchmaking, the 10K plus range? Um, we did a research. This watch is in euros, 2,460, but in the US, it's 2,700 dollars, US dollars, if I'm correct. That is still high. Um, it puts you amidst a Longines, a very well-made Longines. It puts you next to a Tudor, a Tag Heuer. Um, and that's fierce competition for Polo Ralph Lauren. So I guess, who are they targeting? Either very hardcore Polo Ralph Lauren fans, either people who love fashion, or those watch collectors that already own a Tudor, that own a Tag Heuer, that own a Breitling, that own a, a Longines, and want something different. What do you think, Rob? Well, I think you answered that question absolutely brilliantly. I loved your rather defiant statement. Why shouldn't fashion brands make watches? What do we care who makes watches as long as they add something to the conversation? I think that's a brilliant perspective to have. And uh, you put that very nicely. So uh, thanks for that. I um, I have no issue whatsoever. I, I agree with you entirely. Like referencing Gucci and the important work that Gucci did in the past, as well as Fossil and and Guess and all these brands that actually contributed in some tangible way to the revival of the watchmaking industry in the 80s after almost seeing it brought to its knees by the quartz revolution of the 70s is uh, is a really, really wise thing to do. I think that we should be more aware of that and we should uh, realize that we're part of a massive ecosystem that is a broad church and accepts all, all comers. And if you like something, go ahead and buy it and wear it and enjoy it. You know, there's no place on the real-time show for snobbishness. You know, if you have a collection, a humble collection of fashion watches and you absolutely love them and you want to wear them and nothing else and you aren't attracted to high-end horology in the traditional sense, then the more power to you. So that's a good thing. And I think that you probably nailed it with the type of customer this watch would appeal to because you almost described me. I have most of those watches mm -hmm. and not exactly those, but you know, I have a wide selection of watches in my collection and I don't have anything like this. And I bought it simply because I think it is an excellent product. I think it's an excellent watch. It's made in a different way. It has this unique, uh, stone wash finish is what uh, Nacho from Fratello referred to it as. And he asks us what we think about it. Do you like it? Do you like this burnishing? I do. I love it. Yeah, me too. And it's unlike anything else. You know, so I'm really, 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 really particular in, in a very amusing way, by the way. If you if you could see me behind closed doors, how I fawn over my watch collection and arrange things in boxes before I put them in the safe or in the bank, you would laugh at me because it's obsessive. I actually have like a note or several notes on my phone where I organize and reorganize my watch collection across different boxes so that each box is um full of watches of the same type or the same brand or the same style and this doesn't there's no end to this there's no uh final conclusion as to how these watches should be presented because the collection itself is always shifting and changing i'm buying and i'm selling and i'm trading and i'm giving away watches all the time 
I'm not being given them as much as I'd like to be, but you know, I, that's that, that part of the equation could maybe change in a month or two. It's Christmas coming up. Hint, hint, darling, if you're listening. Um, yeah. Fran, Fran, I'll send you a hint. <laughs> yeah. He wants a Polo Ralph Lauren watch, sweetheart. I'll, just, I'll send her the invoice. I'm sure Ralph Lauren's about to send me one. Um, not himself, although, God, I'd love to get Ralph Lauren on the show. Unfortunately, he doesn't do um, podcast interviews very often because the company, as you rightly said, is listed. So it's a bit tricky with their communications, actually. Um, yeah, I I love it. I, I don't take anything away from it for being Ralph Lauren. In fact, I kind of like it because it's such an unexpected treat. And you mentioned that the logo was a bit big for you. I mean, everything on this watch is is weirdly big. It's actually a 40 millimeter case, which some people have commented that it may seem a little large for the style, but because it is inspired by pocket watches or trench watches, I don't think that that really is something I would say myself. I like the big logo. I think it's cool as hell. Everything looks like it's inflated, like swollen, like leaping out of the dial. Those numbers included, they're pad printed, but they're so deliciously pad printed. The, the gloss paint that has been applied here to the dial is, is domed. There's so much of it. It's absolutely divine. And uh, talking of those numbers, there's a question that came in from uh, good old Lee. <laughs> He's come up once or twice before. Um, the great escapement on... Uh, on Instagram. What a great handle that is. Eh? The great escapement. Um, he says, why do they feel the need to cut the numerals in half with the small seconds track? Also, why does Longines mm. feel the need to do this on multiple models? Mm. Um, mm. I'll let, I'll let you Good answer question. this one. Actually, what do you think about it? So the, the 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 world is divided in two schools on topic of cutting off numbers yes or no and i i i think you can even carve it literally through half i'm in the school of not cutting them off it annoys the ocd in me like crazy but they don't have a choice so on topic of the 40 millimeters rob I don't mind the big case because the first thing I always look at, how far is the axis of the sub-second dial off the bezel of the case at the bottom? And it works here. They could have gone for 38. They would have not cut off the 6 numeral, a bit of the 7 and 5, but maybe they could have filled it up. Um, But they went for big. It works. I think it's fine. Now, thank you for that question because every watch designer I speak to is I ask what was the biggest problem in the design process and 99% of the time, internal discussions on prototypes are they spend most of the time, should or shouldn't we cut off numbers? And often their answer is we had to because we didn't know how to fill up that empty space. Some watch producers solve that problem by not doing a full round of numbers. So going from 1 to 12, right? So they skip. They do 2, 12, 2, 4, uh, 8, and 10. That's a way to solve it. So they mix numbers within indices, or you do just indices. But it's a big problem. I don't know how the Polo Ralph Lauren team could have solved this. So I accept their design. Who am I, right, to, to accept this? 
Um, I'm just a uh, stupid retailer slash wannabe podcast uh, uh, host. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big discussion. They could have made the sub seconds dial bigger, but actually they couldn't because it's already touching the main axis of the minute and hour hands. So I don't see any other solution. Is only by shrinking the case. What do you think, Rob? Um, I think there's room for all kinds of design decisions in the watchmaking industry. I don't think there should be a rule about this particular topic. In this instance, it doesn't bother me at all, perhaps because it's been done so full-bloodedly. There is uh, no mercy. That six has been fully decapitated. In fact, it's been chopped right down to the waist. <laughs> I, I think that the... the... <laughs> It's not the waist till it's ankles. Yeah, right. Okay, there's not much of him left. I think that the precision of it is what really charms me. Like the elegance with which it cuts through the seven and particularly the back of that five, which is probably the most ornate of the Arabic numerals on this dial. It's just neat and just well done. Just very deliberate and very decisive. And, you know, with these big numerals, obviously, if you want a sub-seconds dial, you leave yourself absolutely no alternative uh, but to cut through them and i i mean i adore the aesthetic of the watch so obviously i disagree with the great escapement here unfortunately um i i would stick with it exactly and uh, talking of the 40 millimeters so you made a very good point actually something that i'd failed to really appreciate about the uh, axis of the sub so this is one of the biggest differences between the d100 and the ljp 7380 and that is the position of the sub now what that means is the ideal placement of that axis i would say is between directly between the center of the dial and the edge of the dial and on this 40 millimeter case with let me just grab my uh my uh vernier gauge at a 33.5 millimeter dial ballpark, because that's the crystal box crystal edge to edge. Um, it fits perfectly. It's slap bang. As far as I can see, as far as the eye would allow me to believe between the center of the dial and the edge of the case. And that is very satisfying to look at. If you had gone down to 38, mm. you would be in a situation where the sub seconds dial is perhaps if it were the same size, that is rubbing up against the edge of the case. It would look a little bit low. I mean, there is a comment, our beloved brand, Nomos Glasseter, that the 38 millimeter alpha powered watches, which have the same Mm -hmm. manual caliber in them as the 35s and the 33s have uh, Mm -hmm. a slight problem with the sub dial floating a little too high away from the edge of the inner bezel. Now, our first collaboration together, the dish style. We solved that problem we perfectly, did solve, if yeah, I may say so. We did so. solve that problem perfectly <laughs> through the fortune of the design that we were working with um, because we created a visual trick to kind of like fill that gap effectively or like draw people's attention away from it. But exactly. most uh, most 38 millimeter Orions especially don't have that in their locker perfectly justified with that analysis why the case size should be 40 millimeters so i think they got it bang on On top of the nomos discussion and that's a big discussion within nomos and we had that many times filling that gap with a date on paper idea looks good but it doesn't work for me so we always opt as much as possible also for our next collab that's in the works with nomos Without date. Yeah, I agree. I always could do without the date, really, on on the Nomos watch. And 
I could normally do without a date on any watch, really. I tell you the one Nomos watch, we're slightly off topic here, but we love Nomos. One Nomos watch I really, really love the date on, that's the new updates with the uh, DUW6101 caliber, the peripheral date around the outside with the little colored lozenges. You can get it in, what, blue and green on the Tangenta, white and red on the Metro, white and red on the Tangenta. That's a nice, nice complication. I'd like to see more of that. All right, so let's go and have a look at uh, the questions. We've got a couple more here. Um, question from Mark. Did Mr. Ralph Lauren design his watches? I actually asked this question myself. He is involved in the design process. Um, he doesn't sit down and draw them from start to finish, but he certainly makes selections when he is presented with ideas and concepts, and he often is the one to provide the genesis of a concept. So he is involved, actually. He's very active, still in the business. He's an incredibly sprightly man, considering his advancing years. And, uh, I mean, he looks cool as hell, right? He's an icon. So, Rob, Gareth sent in a nice question. Oh, Gareth. Oh, it's heartbreaking. I don't know if you know this, but I was in the Arctic with Fortis recently and I was doing some drone photography and the drone malfunctioned and uh, I lost control of it and it crashed into a tree and I, I lost it in in the Arctic wilderness. So I just uh, Luckily, I had it insured. You still have to pay a 700 euro fee to get a new one sent out to you. But um, I uh, I named him Gareth. After I'd lost him, he didn't have a name before I lost him, but then I wanted to humanize his demise. So I called him Gareth. And now every time somebody mentions Gareth, I'm like, Gareth, the drone, he's lost in the Arctic Circle. Oh, no. So he's kidding around, guys. But listen to episode 12, because I'm quite jealous. It's true. Gareth is dead. I'm quite. Go sit in a corner and cry. I'll tell our listeners what you've done in the Arctic, because that's rather awesome so episode 12 unfortunately i'm not on it because i'm jealous rob went with fortis to shoot watches with a rocket into space so i highly recommend to listen to episode 12 um so garrett not your drone is <laughs> not asking no from beyond the grave <laughs> he, he, he lives in the metaverse okay. right now garrett asks did you ever imagine you would fall in love with a Ralph Lauren watch? No, never. Not not in a million years. I think this this is a nice one to bring the show to a, a gentle close with maybe one more question to come because this calls back to the uh, the first question at the top of the show. No, I, I never expected it. I never saw it coming. I very glibly took the meeting with Guillaume, not expecting anything. I was really there, I, uh, courtesy to my colleague, Chloe. And I thought, yeah, well, what are Ralph Lauren going to show me? And what an arrogant fool I was shown to be because I just, I was really shown that there's so much, so much to know and so much to discover and so much more to enjoy in this industry. And after my eye-opening week with Fortis in the Arctic, surrounded by amazing minds and talents from all over the world, I've been really exposed to things I never would get the things I never thought I'd get the chance to be exposed to. So I'm, I'm having a bit of a week of it. Like there's, there's just so much out there. And whenever somebody who has such a passion for watch collecting as I do discover something like this, it is absolutely imperative. It's shared with the whole, the whole watch world. And, uh, uh, you know, we got a lot more listeners now than we did when uh, episode one came out. So it's uh, it's starting to build into something very real. And thank you to everybody who has got involved and sent us questions in. I think we have one one more in the bank, right, Alan? One last one from our dear listeners, Richard B. Tyrell. I guess that's his handle. Sent in a question: If the Polo sixty seven was an international football team, 
which team would it be and why? <laughs> Rob. Okay, so just a full disclosure to our listeners. We are recording this on December 8th. It is a Thursday. It is the second of two rest days between the last 16 and the quarterfinal stages. So we have eight teams left in the World Cup and Richard asks us to select from those countries still in the World Cup. So we have eight to choose from. Uh, off the top of my head, that's uh, the Netherlands, Argentina, Croatia, Brazil, England, France, Portugal, and Morocco. And... This could have been a very difficult question, which might have taken a little bit of massaging to make sense had it not been for Morocco's shock victory in penalties over Spain, winning 3-0 in the shootout. Because the Morocco team, I, I have a bit of a soft spot for them. I had a soft spot for them from the start of the World Cup because I have been to Morocco and uh, climbed Tupcal and have a very close feeling for the people and for the culture there and so they were my second team right from the get-go i had england at number one obviously and then i had morocco and i i can't believe they've done as well as they have they topped their group which everyone thought was a complete fluke and then they beat spain which everyone's saying is a complete fluke and now they're about to face portugal now by the time this episode airs the world cup will i think be over so morocco could be world champions or they could have been dumped out by the portuguese at the quarterfinal stage but the reason why my answer is Morocco, quite simply, is that nobody saw them coming. Nobody saw this watch coming. Nobody expected anything from it. It has delivered at every level that I could possibly ask it to. And, uh, well, the leather's really nice. And, you know, Morocco's famed for its fine textiles. So there you go. That's my answer, Morocco. And uh, more, more, more success to that team. Well said. And uh, Zahbis, I hope you've won. Um, Rob, one last one, a personal question of mine. So I've gone through the polo lineup and I'm happy to see that my favorite watch is still in the collection, which is the 867 collection. That's that square collection I was talking about that did a collab with the Rake slash Revolution. Um, I see that they still make a lot of watches from the Richemont joint venture era. By the way, for ladies, check out the stirrup. Very elegant, very unique design. And what I love to see that it all really resonates with the Ralph Lauren brand identity, but also Mr. Ralph Lauren's identity. I would never wear the American Western collection, but I very, very, very much appreciate, especially the cushion-shaped um, 42 sterling silver watch. Now, Rob, looking at that lineup, is the 67 hands down your favorite in the whole collection? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. It is my favorite. It is the only Ralph Lauren watch that I've ever considered buying, the only one I will buy um, for the foreseeable future. Although I must say, funnily enough, I did have a soft spot for the stirrup myself. That was probably my favorite Ralph Lauren watch before the vintage 67 hit the market just because it's so Ralph, you know? Yeah. 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 And different yeah. and new, yeah. but looking at the whole collection, what I love is every watch is unique. They literally put their soul into it and they didn't copy any other brand, which I think is very cool. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a very similar parallel to what Hermes have been doing, I think, and why both brands deserve a bit more respect than certainly Ralph Lauren gets in this sphere. Um, that's because they are taking a fashion-first approach to 
high-end watchmaking. And that's a legitimate mm. route to creating something new. So I would not say every watch in the collection is unique. You know, I mean, like the uh, the sort of polo watches with the green bezels and brown bezels, you know, you yeah. know, the case is quite different, but the logo, but the logo makes it unique. You're absolutely yeah. right. And the big teddy bears on the, yeah. on the, well, what could otherwise be like a Shinola kind of style watch also unique. And, and you know, the, the horse riding thing and the, and the leather and you, know, you really feel yeah. the culture of the brand. So very yeah. successful ambassadors on the wrist, I think all across the board, some standout models for me. I do yeah. think, Sorry, I do think that the Bears collection, they don't have a particular name, but the lugs of that watch and having the crown at the two o'clock position makes it a unique design. Yeah, well, you know, the lugs, I mean, it's a bit of everything in it. The lugs do remind me of Hermes as well. Yeah, which is fine because those two brands, they should stand side by side. And if Ralph Lauren wants to do more in the vein of the Vintage 67, which I'm not sure the brand really does. You know, I'm not really sure that this is like a warning shot fired to all of the fashion brands that Ralph Lauren's about to take the luxury watch industry by storm. I don't think that that's really what we're seeing. I think that we're just seeing an exceptional one-off. And oftentimes I find myself attracted to watches that have a great deal of context within the watchmaking industry. And this one is a bit of a bit of an outlier. It exists on an island at the moment and it may remain there. I'm not sure if the brand will follow up with anything new and I'm not sure I need them to for once. No, it's a well-rounded uh, collection. So to round up this episode i have two questions if you made it to the end of this episode we would love to know if you want us to do more of these review episodes where we discuss watches we've worn and tried i enjoyed this episode i hope you do too and second thing i've gotten some questions from people that want to receive our trts sticker especially the dutch because rob i don't know if you knew and I didn't realize that when we made that abbreviation, there's one letter <laughs> missing, which yeah. is the O. And in Dutch, T-R-O-T-S means proud, trots. So, you know what I was thinking of doing? I had this idea the other day because you told me this off air about a week or two ago. And I was thinking of putting a small clock, <laughs> like a circular clock in the middle of the R and T. Uh, and then uh, redoing the logo in a rainbow color. Uh, I thought that would be a nice play on words for us, and uh, you know that's cool. And I'm, I'm I'm looking at the sticker at the back of my phone. Since the sticker is round, that is an O. So for all our Dutchies, <laughs> if you want a sticker, we'll send it to you free of charge. Um, just drop us a DM. Yeah, we'll send you a few to make it worth the postage, so you can you can sticker up your local neck of the woods wherever it is. A load of my mates when they came around to my office when we just started recording, they saw a bunch of these stickers lying around, and they all grabbed handfuls and then dissipated around the world and stuck them all over the place. So there's stickers in yeah Sweden, North America, Budapest already. It's uh, Amsterdam. It's growing. You know, it's going crazy. So yeah, encourage graffiti. That's what I say, <laughs> especially on your laptop and your mobile phone. Rob, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a real pleasure. It was nice to pioneer this new format. I think personally it's gone pretty damn well because uh, subject matter is so interesting, at least to us. If you would like to get involved in the show, of course, you can ask us your questions. It doesn't have to be about a product. It can be about anything to do with watchmaking. We want to know what you want to know about our industry. So you can contact us either on Instagram. I'm there at Rob Nudds. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon, you can find at at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can send either of us a direct email at either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Thursday 
with a very special guest calling in all the way from Gothenburg in Sweden. That's James Thompson, otherwise known as the Black Badger, co-owner of Arcanaut and materials maestro known around the industry for his work with major brands such as MBNF, MW Co, David Toon and others. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.